Welcome into Sayer Auto Group Podcast. I'm Zach Bennett, alongside Chris Sayer, Nick Sayer. We have a wonderful episode for you today. We're going to talk about the importance of asking questions. More importantly, asking the right questions, how to become a good question asker. I don't know if there's a better way to say that. We also have Marvin Parker, uh, F&I manager from the uh, Jeep Dodge store, on to talk about um, his experience here. He's been with the company for a long time and give him some love and shout out for all that he's done over the last few months and years. Uh, that'll be next here on the Sayer Auto Group podcast. All right, guys, uh, welcome on. Happy almost end of August. The wind is howling, which means fall is near. <sighs> Getting cold. <laughs> Football's near, though. Football's Football's near. How are you feeling about that? Oh, dude. You know, the Vikes are going to, this is the year. So, Super Bowl. This year and ever. It's a mantra every year. I was telling, uh, I think I was telling you guys this, but uh, it makes me laugh every football season because I remember when they lost the playoff game, I sat on my couch, deleted Twitter. I think I deleted Instagram and I said, I'm done watching like the Vikings. I'm done having a team. <laughs> the pain I was feeling, I said I ain't gonna do it. And now I'm all the way back. Super Bowl season, just full blown, full purple. Yeah, dyed my hair purple. Yeah, <laughs> you're gonna see me on week one coming with a purple beard. It might be my last day, but I'm coming in heaven. Yeah. <laughs> purple chill beard, our streak, man. purple polo. I'll never forget the first day, the first Saturday that we opened at the stores when the Vikings played the Colts. And not anyone cares that's listening to this, but maybe I still laugh about it because they're playing the Colts. They're down 33, nothing and a half. They come back. And I remember when they kicked the game winning field goal, I, I was standing over in our new service department. It was kind of half put together, but the TV was working. Thank goodness. And when they, when the Vikings hit that kick, I screamed so loud, like yelled. And there was like four to five people looking at cars, and they just look over like, who is this guy, dude? <laughs> Rick is trying to pull me in to do my job, and I was locked in on the bike. So that's, <laughs> that's funny. That's funny, man. But, um, well, sweet. How have you guys been? How's the stores? How's uh, any any things you wanted to touch on, highlight, anything like that? Uh, no, just closing out another month. Um, pretty good month, you know, in terms of uh, you, the units that we were able to move. Um, especially the EVs from BMW on the new side. I want to say we we sold like eight elect all electric vehicles awesome. out of our store, which I think Murray down in Utah only sold like thirteen. So, and I mean they have, I don't mean they're massively bigger market than we are. So the fact that we were able to move eight, um, very good job on the BMW side, um, you know, and, and really jumping into the ev and and uh you know taking every chance we have to sell those so good job bmw for that i was gonna ask you off that because i remember it was like three or four episodes ago we talked about you mentioned that they did a good job like uh mckay and morgan kind of made a quiz yeah and, and and drilled your team and to kind of follow up with that success i'm sure you would say that those are probably tied to one another yeah no product knowledge and and you know when you buy into something and and actually know about it believe in it you know it's a lot easier to actually sell sell that product so um that was a good exercise that morgan mckay did and a challenge for the salespeople to, to you know jump in and, and really take some time to learn about the electric uh vehicles that we have available you know what what strengths they have and and uh you know it's it's paying off you know yeah. so good job what about you chris any any love you want to share um yeah i'm just really proud of the the ram team we had a 
we had a pretty poor month on 1500s the past month in July. <laughs> yeah. And I think that was company wide. So I'm not too hard on everyone about that. But as, as we set goals with our rep, Sander, um, he mentioned we had five sales in July. And what did we want to sell for August? And that he was going to be running a promo to kick us some money back uh, per unit. And um, honestly, I just wanted to double July. That was what I had in my mind. And me and Sandra ended up agreeing on 15, uh, which isn't quite the highest mark, which would be 18 to get full payout. And the team has pushed super hard, and we have now reached 18, I believe, mm -hmm. right on the number. So yep. that's <laughs> quite a jump from July. Good job, team. That's impressive that we could push to over triple the previous month's performance there. So good job, guys. That's, that's pretty cool. And I think Nissan's doing well, too. They've pretty much cleaned house on their inventory. I was over there <laughs> earlier today, and... I, I believe they sold every center they had. There may have been seven of them or so. And Jeez. they've just cleaned yeah. out on everything. They're doing good. So they need more cars, just like all of us, I guess. So everybody's rolling good into fall, though. I feel like there's a lot of steam right now behind the teams. Yeah, no, and I think I shared that in the email earlier that um, September through December is really, in my opinion, that like the best time to be in car sales. I always mm -hmm. feel like it's... Uh, for a variety of reasons that, that you know, people's worlds kind of or lives kind of slow down because vacations aren't really happening as much back in school. Mm -hmm. Then you get the business towards the end of the year that need some tax things. And so when it comes to car sales, I think we're entering the prime time to do it. Um, so anything that you've done that like the, you know, previous, uh, I guess, eight months, you know, it's time to, to really hammer it and hit you the last, uh, last four hard. Um, I just want to touch on, it's been fun to, you know, to really dive in and, and improve our training overall, whether it's like through this podcast feed or through, uh, role-playing, you know, once a week or three times a week with different individuals. And then through the Saturday meeting, it's been a ton of fun to be able to kind of focus in on one skill. And I think that's, what's cool is like, you learn that there's so many different facets to selling in general and different skills you can teach, but they help build upon one another. Uh, and so this week talking about mirroring um, and and really being able to, and I think this will play what we talk about questions will play right into it, but mirroring as a whole, being able to build commonality through matching the language, body language, uh, tone of voice um, and words and, and matching it back with them to build familiarity. And uh, I think it's to me, like I did door to door four years. I've been in here for three I think mirroring is the number one skill that if you master as a salesperson that you can double and triple your sales um, through it because it allows you, no matter who you talk to, like me, whether it's like a you know big burly dude comes in loud, wants to be aggressive, or like a little grandma looking at a renegade, being able to mirror both those personalities and bring down, either bring up your frame or bring down your frame and, and matching it has, has helped you know me in, in my sales career. And I think that's the reason I hammer it on so much because I think it's the number one element that if, if these guys will master and gals, it'll be what they can can do to really improve. So I don't know if you guys have seen Miriam being positive, you know, with your salespeople or if you have any thoughts off that. But I just I think it's probably the most crucial one in my in my opinion. Yeah, mirroring is super important, and I, I've seen the difference it's made as our teams focused on it. I think in my own life, it's I, I've intuitively kind of been able to mirror people fairly well. Yeah. And I, I can, thinking about it now after talking over it, like I can think of situations where it helped me get certain sales. It, it's funny because humans will 
you, when you get really good at it, you'll even match almost their accent or, yeah. you know, <laughs> or their slang. Like certain times we'll have people that are like farmers, kind of country people. And I, I notice like by the end of talking to them, I have a twin, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and I don't mean to do it, but it's just <laughs> something you learn, I guess, over time. And I've noticed our salespeople do similar things and that's great. I think you should seek to, uh, assimilate to that other person and, and it'll make them feel more comfortable in the process of buying something, you know? Yeah. And I, you know, as with that, um, just being aware, you know, of the different type of personalities that are out there, um, especially when it comes to buying a car makes a big difference. And, you know, not something that I ever really took the time to, um, kind of break apart until Zach made a training on it and, and, you know, showed us three different types of buyers. And really broke down, you know, how their what their behavior is, um, and you know the correct way to mirror that. So, you know, just being aware that you know there are different personalities out there, and not everybody's gonna, um, you know, have the same uh, interests or whatnot as you. And being able to to mirror, you know, what their personality is is a is a huge um, advantage to you as a salesperson if you're able to identify that and then use that to your benefit. Yeah. And I think to kind of like Chris, you talked about it being more natural. And I think that's the kind of the unique thing is that it is something that until you notice it, you don't really, and you do a lot of that stuff kind of just naturally. It's the whole idea of the, you become who you hang out with, like the four people that you surround yourself with is kind of who you become. And I've noticed that in my life when you talk about slang is I pick up on the way people talk of who I spend a lot of my time with. I'm, I'm sure that, you know, it's the same for everybody. And so well, it is natural when you do it in such a quick instance, that has to be practiced and, and done so it's not super, super caught on. You know, when you, mm-hmm. when you mimic body language, you want to do it one to two seconds after they, you know, transition into it and all the variety of things with the tone of voice. And, you know, I think the number one thing that will help you, and it goes into kind of our last thing. So with, with listening is when you repeat back what you just heard to them, that's a form of mirroring. I think people kind of they mixed up with just, you know, active listening and, and so on. But reconfirming so when someone talks about like oh i need to have heated seats in my car you know just twisting and being like okay so heated seats are a must-have for you that's a way for them to feel like okay this person hears me they, they're understanding me um and they can reconfirm to you that you know you're on the right path and so that's another form of mirroring that i think is really helpful so it's more than just body language tone voice all that it goes back into to reconfirming what they're saying so, but good stuff money well, cool. Nick, you're kind of the one that uh, outlined asking questions is something we wanted to go over. Um, this like conversation, and I've talked about a little bit about like calibrate questions where it comes from. And I brought the book because I talk about this book all the time. But if you haven't read it, it's Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss. And I think uh, for me, it's the number one sales book that you can read because it talks about negotiation from an FBI negotiator dealing life and death situations. Um, but he talks about the key components of becoming a great negotiator. So calibrate questions are what, how, and why questions. Um, and they don't go into yes or no, because yes or no never allows for a great response. It's very black and white and doesn't turn into a conversation. So they elicit a response. They force people to think, and you'll get more information from your customers than just those yes or no's. So what will shape people's thoughts? Um, how will focus on implementation of eliciting forced empathy? So when you ask, how does that make you feel? For example, you're able to pull their emotions and then allow you to directly empathize with them immediately after. Whereas why will kind of 
proof of life. It's kind of the last question you want to ask because say someone, one of your customers is going to buy elsewhere and it's, you know, it's more of a force. Like, well, why did you end up looking at a Chevy? You know, it's kind of a more direct, but it allow you to get right to the, the cause of the, or the root of the issue. So those are the, the calibrated side of it. But going back to you, Nick, when you talk about questions, what importance do you think asking questions does for a salesperson uh, who's trying to sell the most cars possible? Um, you know, that's a majority of, of what your interaction with, with customers, um, should entail, you know, those questions. And, um, the thing that I found out with myself is it's almost best to almost like turn it into an interview type of a setting with your customer, um, where you're, like you said, you're not just asking yes or no questions, but you're, you're asking questions that uh, require, you know, more specific answers. Um, and I always like to ask the customers if they're okay, if I jot down, you know, some, some notes that way, um, I don't forget things. Um, because when you're buying a car, there's a lot of questions to be asked. Yeah. There's a lot of responses that are given, you know, and it's hard in, you know, sometimes in the heat of the moment, um, to remember everything that the customer, um, says back to you. So, um, and I think, you know, they might see that more as you're taking this series, you know, if you just simply say, Hey, you know, I'd like to ask you a few questions. Now, do you mind if I, you know, jot a few notes down uh, yeah. throughout throughout uh, the process? And that way I can best serve you, you know, with the time that we have here today. Um, and one of my favorite questions, too, to start out with when a customer walks in the door um, is to just simply ask them, you know, what, you know, what's what's your objective today? What did you come in here to accomplish? Yeah. You know, and then leave that and then just be quiet and let them answer, you know, what what they came in here to do. Um, and then with that information that they give you, you can kind of, you know, tailor your um, sales process or questionnaire um, towards, you know, the objective that that customer wants to accomplish today. Instead of just going off on whatever, you know, tangent or route that you want to go and completely ignoring what the customer's there to do that day. Yeah. No, I think that's money. And, and, and Chris, the question I asked you kind of like as a broad <clears throat> question but kind of the first part that we want to talk about like when you talk about great questions what makes a great question in your opinion what what is it what gets people talking um i think a great question kind of can drive the energy of the situation um i know that's probably not the answer you're looking for but i feel like if you ask certain questions with a excited tone um or if you ask questions that will bring kind of some enthusiasm to the situation, like we're excited you're here to buy a car, you know, what kind of car are we looking at today? Even the delivery of a simple question like that can make people be like, Oh, this guy's excited. Yeah. Or, this gal's excited for this process. Um, I've seen questions completely change the mood. It shows that you're interested in people. Um, when you just start making assumptions and doing actions in your process, I think they start to see you're robotic and don't, you don't really care. You're just doing your job, you know? So the question, I guess, I don't know if I fully responded to it, what makes a great question, but I think it brings a certain mood to the, to the conversation. Um, it's simple and direct. Most of the time, you don't want some long winded, confusing question. You want them to be know exactly what you just asked and be able to respond you know, and it keeps the process flowing forward too. I've seen a lot of questions and I'm like, why did I, why did you just ask them <laughs> like that? Now they're going to think about 82 different things over here that are unrelated to the, to the process. So 
keep pushing the process forward. You know, keep that mood high. It's an exciting moment. Like Rick, Rick talks about this a lot, but th- this is a new fun event for someone, a big event when they're buying a car. To you, yeah, you do it every day, five, you know, three, four times a day. They, yeah. they, it's huge to them. So keep that mood going hot, get them forward in the process, you know, and, and make the questions fairly simple and clear cut. I think that those make good questions to me, but. No, and I think it goes into being able to remove your biases. I think no matter no matter how hard you try initially, you're going to have when someone walks in, you do it no matter what situation is, whether you're selling or not. You're going to have it a bias. You're going to have a thought. You're going to assume, because uh, it's human nature, what the person is going to say or mm-hmm. kind of what their attitude is going to be. So I think it's broad for a reason, but I think you hammered a really good point where asking a great question starts with, number one, treating every situation fresh and not allowing previous experiences to kind of corrupt or to change how you're going to approach this one. And so when, like you said, it's an exciting experience, you come in with a warm and and kind of excited attitude, naturally that energy is going to transfer more so to your customer. They may may be a grumpy old man who just wants the facts and the details, but at least he knows that you're excited and, and happy to help him as opposed to Oh, this guy <laughs> would rather do anything else than show me a car right now. I think it makes a big difference. Yeah, it's like you think I've had this a few times at restaurants, but the waiter or waitress will come and their first question is, What are we celebrating tonight? Yeah. You know, and you're like, yeah. <laughs> interesting. Like you just assumed we're celebrating. That's cool. And then you always <laughs> end up responding to it in a happy way. Like, oh, it's our first date or what whatever joke you want to make or whatever real celebration it is. But I thought I think that's a good intro to make everybody smile and be like, Yeah, we're here celebrating. Yeah. It's you know? <laughs> yeah. cool. Absolutely. That's funny. I, me and uh Morgan were down in Utah delivering a couple BMWs yesterday and on our way back, he's kind of been on a Rolex kick lately and he's like, <laughs> Let's just stop in the Rolex store and just go see if they have anything. You know? And I was like, Whatever. I've never been inside one. Yeah. Just wanted to go see what it was like. So um, we went to the downtown um, store in Salt Lake, the Rolex store. And um, when we walked in, it was a, probably a, a kid that was 30, maybe 35 years old, around our age, you know. And I think w- when he saw us walk in, one, Morgan was dressed like he was, you know, going to be detailing cars, skateboard <laughs> jeans and a t-shirt. I, I look semi-professional at least, but I feel, like, I feel like when he saw us walk in, you know, immediately he's like, here we go. We got some time wasters on my, on our hands yeah. here. So we walk in, he stands up, um, just initial question, you know, how can I help you? And, you know, I just straightforward. I said, we're just probably your worst nightmare. Just killing a little time. Wanted to look at some watches. Um, and you know, from that point on, he just, the, the guy helping us, he didn't ask me a single question the whole time I was there. Um, and I was just pointing watches like, do you have any, do you have any, I was the one leading the conversation the whole time. And it got so, so awkward to the point where I was just kind of asking him about his job because I could tell he had no interest in talking about the watches, showing us anything. Um, granted, he did say, you know, they haven't had a watch in stock for five years. So I'm like, well, okay, well, what is your job? And, um, and they didn't have anything that you could even try on, you know? So I'm just, it, this, it was a weird situation, but the fact that, I mean, he didn't ask me a single question, showed no interest in, you know, even building some excitement about Rolex or asking me if I've ever owned a Rolex or know anything about Rolex. Didn't ask me a single thing, not a very impressive, you know, situation for me, 
going in, I was actually kind of excited because, again, I was like, you, you expect a certain, you know, treatment when you walk into a store like that, no matter what you look like. And, you know, I know we're all guilty of, you know, prejudging people sometimes, but you you never know who who might be a buyer. And, you know, if they would have had the right watch there and he was some superstar watch who know, or a guy, who knows, I might have pulled the trigger on something. But, um, you know, it didn't leave a great taste in my mouth and didn't leave me wanting to run back to that place to, you know, try to buy. I mean, it sounds like they don't have any anyways, but um, it, well, just, it just kind of killed the experience. No, and I think that's I think it's important is is when we ask a great question in my mind, it's like, well, if you've asked it five times that day, then. It's not a great question because if everywhere else is going to be asking that same question. Like if you are bored of it, then they're they're going to be bored of All it. Right. And they, they've been places that they're going to be bored of it. And you never know when it's someone's first time. You never know when you have an opportunity to make it such a great experience that you, you would ruin it, I guess, like you said. Or now, you know, if you handle it correctly, they come back like, today is the only place I go because when I go in there, they're excited. They're happy. They want to help me. Even though I went in and she said, I'm just looking, they were still very you know, thoughtful and made sure that all my questions were answered um, before I left. And so I think, you know, when it, that kind of that broad question, it dials down to your energy, your effort in wanting to ask the right question and not being just so repetitive that they, they, they just know it as soon as, yeah. as soon as you, are, you know, approach them. Yeah, so how many times do we hear, I'm not. I'm not really shopping today. I don't, I'm just here browsing. I'm just yeah. looking. I mean, how many times do you hear that on the floor, Zach? Oh, I mean, five, or six times. And if you day. treat it yeah. the way he did, that kid, you're going to lose 90% of your sales because most of those people, that's just how they respond in the beginning. They're trying to feel you out and mm-hmm. see kind of what the vibe is here, you know? Yeah. So if that bothers you, you're in trouble. <laughs> yeah. You got to be like, well, that's fine, man. Let me tell you about the watches. You know, let me show you a couple here. I mean, we only have pictures, but <laughs> just make jokes, get yeah. them going. And yeah, you never know. I'm a guy that buys on impulse. Yeah, I'll, I'll admit that. So thing. I could have walked out buying one with that same thought he had. It was just like, I'm just here hanging out, dude. Yeah. You know, no, I've had, I haven't had that quite Rolex, but I've been in Foot Locker a number of times and where, yeah, I just walked in because, you know, my wife or daughter, they're out at a different store and I'm walking in. I have no intention of buying, but I've had both ways where I was just looking around. And the guy just said, hey, you know, can I help you? No. And then he just never talked to me again. Well, otherwise, guy noticed I kind of landed on a shoe and just came in to see if I want to try it on. And all of a sudden, I have a, a shoe on my foot and now I'm going through the emotional. Yeah. This looks pretty sweet. <laughs> I don't want to take this shoe off and I end up walking out with it. So exactly. it's, I've had both experiences and you really never know. Like it is just the first instinct that people say in a selling situation. Mm-hmm. And so being able to push right past that, you just have to master it and, and kind of build rapport, even though they try to push you off initially. You never right. let that deflate yeah. you. And going kind of back to some more experience of my own. Um, I feel like that's kind of the scariest part of starting a new job, maybe especially with sales in an automotive setting, um, is asking questions and then, um, or the customer asking you questions that you don't have the answer to, or, or yeah. maybe the fear of asking the wrong question and, and completely ruining the sale. Um, so, you know, asking questions is a skill, you know, it's not something that, you know, everybody just is professional at the day they start, you know, mm-hmm. asking good questions, asking the right questions, um, takes time to learn, you know, what questions are effective, uh, which ones are not, um, and really fine tuning, you know, your process of asking questions. Uh, you, you touched on a little bit, you know, 
um, the person typically asking questions is the one that's in control of the, the situation, Absolutely. right? So Absolutely. Um, if you're not the one asking the questions as the salesperson, um, you're going to be getting dragged all over the car lot for two, three hours, maybe looking mm -hmm. at 45 different cars and getting nowhere, mm -hmm. right? So that's, and and I see it all the time, you know, with, with new, new uh, salespeople, it's just kind of a default uh, comfort to, to let the customer kind of um, lead the the process and and you like I said you end up wasting hours 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 showing 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 and all they do is take that information to the next place and and go buy a car you know so if you're not the one asking questions um, and and doing your job properly uh, you're gonna lose out on a lot of sales and and like I said it is you know it is a skill and it's something that you you should make a daily habit of you know fine tuning what questions you know work and don't work and really um focus on that area of the cell because you know without good questions you're you're never going to be successful in this, this job and it's not just the questions like going back to your thing about the your team knowing the electric vehicle super yeah. well yeah it's like i've ran into a few situations because let's be honest i'm not out selling cars most days and sometimes i'm behind on my training i don't know everything i can't keep my eye on our inventory as well either i try to but when i do have a friend come and i start asking the right questions at least i feel like they're the right questions then they tell they say this this and this like i want a black car with leather at 1500 whatever and i don't know the inventory then i look stupid or if they say you know what's the hitch on the back of that what size is it i don't know i look stupid like i i know how to defer those questions and find the right answer kind of cover myself but as a salesman you need to understand how to respond to uh their answers yes. right so if, if you can go dial your questions in like nick just said then you need to think about the responses and how am i prepared to provide those responses otherwise you can ask great questions all day but if you look like you've had your answer to their response then it just yeah exactly you look stupid and and that's the thing is I can't prepared. emphasize it enough. If you are too scared to ask a question because you're afraid you might know the, not know the answer, then you're absolutely, f like, you're failing yourself because if you're, that's the whole element of your job is being a guide through the vehicle. And so and when if you don't know something, learn it right. because you never want to be where you're like, you know, I know what happens when you knew. I mean, I, when, when you knew, it's yeah. fine to defer and you have that excuse. No one's expecting that. But if you're a year in, and you still don't know your product where you can't answer a question about anything, hybrid or not, or <laughs> any feature, then you better get in and study it because you have to know that stuff in order to be successful. And the real death knell is when you start making stuff up. Yeah. Yeah, never we, do that. We yeah. have <laughs> seen that multiple yeah. times. Yeah. Yep. And that really bites you. I mean, people lose complete faith and trust in you. It's way better to say, hey, let me go grab uh, Jared, he's an expert on this stuff. Sorry, I'm kind of newer here. I don't, I don't know everything yet, but this guy knows it all. I'm going to go talk to him real quick and get you the right answer so I don't yes. tell you something wrong. That's a skill as well. Like you got to know your limits or yeah. you'll, you'll lose people because they'll be like, these people are lying. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. Yeah, it takes forever to build up that trust. It yeah. takes one lie to, to eliminate, especially in the sales. I mean, that's a relationship base. But Right. Um, I think this kind of this moves really well into the next. We talk about relationships, but when you're, you know, you can use the Rolex example, but when you go into a sales environment and you're meeting someone the first time, even if it is not outside of sales, but you meet someone for the first time, how does 
like detailed questions about you, your life, or about needs or wants, how does that help foster a more impactful relationship than just yes or no question? Uh, you know, Rick Williams, the, the general manager before me, he thrived on on this type of um, stuff here, the, you know, relationship question type stuff. And I, I learned a lot from him in that regard. And, you know, um, customers that at the end of the day, you know, I feel like, the relationship portion of, you know, any large purchase like this is more important than, you know, the object itself that you're purchasing, right? Um, and so, again, referencing back to yesterday, um, I delivered a car down to this gentleman named Mark Maybe, um, a very longtime customer of uh, the Sayer Group. I think he said he was related to or his wife was related to the Ellsworth Group um, that owned it before my grandpa bought the dealerships. Um and you know he's been buying cars ever since from from Rick and and he's like he he's met my grandpa and first thing when I walked in he goes oh wow yeah you look like Kelly and I'm like oh you met my dad too like <laughs> you know and and I've had conversations with him a little bit here and there um, but you know he took us in his house and, and sat down and um, you know I just started looking around in his in his office and you know he had all kinds of little souvenirs and stuff and. I noticed he had a, a Brazilian flag there and I'm like, Oh, you know, what's your affiliation with Brazil? Um, and he goes, Oh, I, I served an LDS mission there. And I said, Oh really? You know, I did as well. And he asked me which mission were you in? And I said, I was in Manaus. And he's like, you gotta be kidding me. I, you know, I, my mission at that time was, you know, from Rio de Janeiro up to Manaus, but you know, I, I did cover that area. And, you know, again, it's just, it was a cool opportunity to just establish more of a relationship with somebody that, you know, he, he had relationships with other members of our uh, dealership in the past. Um, but it was a way for him and I to maybe kind of, you know, establish a relationship moving forward. Um, you know, and, you know, there was a few other uh, conversations that we had and to, you know, strengthen that relationship, but finding common ground with people um, and asking, you know, just questions kind of like that, you'll be surprised at maybe how much you might have in common or, or stuff like that with, with your customers. And, and like I said at the beginning, I feel like the relationship aspect of a, of a purchase like this is almost more important than, than the object itself that is purchased. Yeah. No, and I think that, like, why – the question you have to ask yourself is, you know, you talk about car dealerships, BMW, there's, you know, the ones in Salt Lake. Uh, for us at Dodge, there's, well, there's four of them within an hour of right, each other. Right. You know, Nissan's probably very similar. And so the question you have to ask yourself, and then that doesn't even get into all the other brands that are different that all make the pretty much the same thing, just packaged and branded a little bit different. Is like why would why would not only would they buy from me now, but what would help them or make them buy from me down the road? And I think for me, I always just try to make sure that I focus on on knowing who they are outside of just the car that they're buying. Mm -hmm. And so that goes into okay, so this is the features that you want. And you and you understand that you dial down on a specific vehicle, but now what are you using it for? What's what's like kind of the life value that it's adding? And you know, you find out they're adding a kid, so they need that third row for Grand Cherokee L. And you dive into, you know, for me, I have two kids, and you know, hopefully, can grow the family, and that's you know something that you can connect with. And all of a sudden, you're talking about kids, and you're talking about what they do for work, and you're connecting through previous past experiences, favorite teams. You know, go down the line, and now the why me goes into this. Someone is familiar. This someone I can trust. Because they didn't just ask me about their car and we talked numbers, they trade, we battled over that and I got in the car and I left and never heard from them again. During the midst of all of that, we were talking about family, about friends, shared experiences, and through that we were able to connect. And I found someone that I will only go for because of X, Y, and Z. 
Um, and so I think that though diving deeper with Calvary questions about what and how will lead you to someone that you develop a friendship with, a relationship with, and that's how you become successful in sales is because then, like you were just sharing, that guy's not going to go anywhere else for BMW. He's only going to go to here because of shared experience that you guys had and what he dealt with previous. Yeah, I think if you really want a master class in this, watch Rick Wallace and his interactions too. Because he, I, I mean, he generally always starts with a question when he approaches people. And most of them are personal relationship building questions. Once in a while, he gets to the point, like, what can we do to help you today? What's going on? But he's question after question, and they all are good questions. They all build rapport. Usually, they walk out of the building, you know, damn near hugging him or, <laughs> smile, you know, it's true. or, you know, smile and laughing, but he just gets them with his questions in a mood to the, you know, a lower mood. If it's, if it's conflict resolution or if it's sales, a very calm and satisfied experience mood. So yeah, pay attention to him when he helps close a deal or when he's dealing with his regular customers, cause he's really good at building rapport and, and asking good questions that move things along further. So yeah. Just a note. <laughs> yeah, no, and I think to kind of to summarize, they, like more detailed questions, they help uh, demonstrate genuine interest and empathy. And mm -hmm. I think that's exactly what you're describing there is that when you ask questions that I think build upon each other. So you, you get an answer back and then instead of in your, you know, and you can get into a robotic state of asking the next question down the list because we all go through those trainings, asking a question off of that will then reaffirm to them, oh, this guy's paying attention. Mm -hmm. So goes back to like what Rick will do is he'll find out the, the issue or the hot button and immediately ask like, what's the purpose of this? What, you know, what came to this or why, you know, and then it allows for that conversation. Well, and the, and the better that you get at it, the more instinctual that it'll just happen. It'll just become a part of, of how you build the relationship. Absolutely. Uh, so genuine empathy and then it helps the person make you feel valued and it, it creates a space for open dialogue. And so then it moves into what we've talked about a lot, but post customers like the sell, now they know that it's a safe space that if an issue pops up, they feel that they can come back and, and describe it to you on a used car purchase, on a new car purchase, whatever the problem is, mm -hmm. because they know that, hey, this person cares about me and he'll help make a resolution to it. So, um, Yeah, there's really no empathy without question asking. No. I mean, that's, that's the only way to start that empathy. Is whether you're asking about their feelings or experience or this or that, it starts with a question. That's how you show empathy. Is yeah. Hey, talk to me about this. You know, what can we do for you? How can we do it? That's what you're trying to figure out. You know, um, when we talk about listening, how have you guys made improvements in your time to listen better? You know, whether that's just in general or spouses or whatever, but you know, there's a difference between listening and active listening. <laughs> Where do you guys find the difference in being able to listen so that you can then in turn ask the correct question? Mm. Put you on the spot. I'm newly married again, so <laughs> <laughs> I've been working on this again, being in a long-term relationship. And um, yeah, I don't know. I think it's important for me to slow my mind down and not think of responses or respond too quickly. Like let the air kind of settle in between questions or when you're listening to someone don't be thinking about the response because i'm you know i'm king of that or i have been in the past but i've gotten better at just kind of chilling out 
you know, in the situation at home, looking at my wife, listening to her, and then kind of taking a pause after and then responding once I gather myself. So it's kind of like slow down, slow your mind down and make eye contact or, you know, show that you're engaged by being pointed at them, open body language, you know, different things that can just create a safe space, you know? I don't know. Yeah, no, you know, that's a, it's a tough, it's a tough skill again, um, kind of to learn. Um, but I feel like, like Chris said a little bit, by slowing the conversation down and not focusing so much on what your response is going to be, um, trying to take whatever biases that you might have, um, you know, before any questions are asked out of that, out of the conversation, um, makes a big difference in how the rest of that conversation plays out, you know. So when you're actively listening, um, and with intent to understand what that customer or person is trying to relay to you without your own um, thoughts and feelings, you know, interfering, you know, while they're talking to you, um, definitely uh, makes a big difference. And, you know, I'm starting to notice that more and more, especially dealing with some of the service customers that, you know, I've, I've dealt with here in the past couple months. Um, I'm not an expert in the service department whatsoever um in kind of what takes place over there so when customers call me you know with complaints or issues that they're having you know it's a you know it's a little bit nerve-wracking for me because i'm I, I don't have all the answers of you know what went wrong how do we fix it and you know i'm kind of starting to realize that it's not so much about you know what i say in that exact moment or um, um trying to cut them off and 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 you know not listen to exactly what they have to say but by just sitting back like chris said letting them vent out and, and explain exactly, you know, what happened from their perspective and then, you know, taking time to uh, let them know, listen, I'll, let me go look into it. I'm going to go talk to my service advisor, uh, service manager, the technician that's involved, um, talk with them, figure out exactly what happened on our end. Um, and then I will reach, reach right back out to you with a, with a response, you know, so, um, you know, just actively listening, understanding what the real issue at hand is, from the customer's perspective, and then you know responding um, to to their uh, issue or whatever it may be, um, it makes a big difference. No, and I think the skill, the you know, silence that you both have touched on is, I think, the most lacking skill that you say salespeople, but I think as a whole, as like just kind of people that we mm-hmm. kind of lack, especially in today's day and age with all the distractions, whether it's you know on your phone and someone's talking to you, and you barely you can't even recount the story that was told you. <laughs> yeah. So I think uh, this one gets me excited because I think there's two different ways to look at it. So you have the combative conflict resolution, like you talked about, and then you also have like the sales environment, which, which, which we talk about most often here. When you respond to a question almost immediately after someone like has either a problem or a question, it doesn't matter how, if it even is the right answer, it mm-hmm. comes off that it's wrong mm-hmm. and then you're not listening right. to them. Mm-hmm. So like the perfect example is like the whole trade in value, which is probably the number one thing that we fight when you come to sales is if someone's trading a car, they always want the most and we don't want to give everything to it. So that's always going to be your number one and expect it. But because we expect it when we show numbers and we go through it and they say, and we stare at them as we, okay, so then we're giving you a 14, five for your trade. And then you look at them immediately assume guilt is what the customer will do <laughs> so then when they when they do combat you on the 14.5 and you immediately say well yeah so here's and then you start going down the list 
then they think, okay, he's guilty. He's assuming that I have a problem with it and, and they go down and, and then you have a, a dog fight. But when you go through it and then you do get that ejection, whether it is on trade or whether it is on discount or whatever, and you take a beat, like you said, even make it feel like it hurt you, and you just sit there and you listen and you just let the silence kind of speak for itself of like, okay, this guy's really kind of stuck on this issue. Then it will help build some more trust just through the silence with your customer than if you just immediately, even if you have all the answer, your desk guy prepped you, it needs a windshield, tires, there's a ding on the back right, we're going to have to get touched up. It, even if though you go out and say that and it's true, just taking a second, 5, 10, 15 seconds to kind of sit there and let it marinate, one of two things is going to happen. You're going to build the trust. And the second thing is, is that you may get an opportunity from the customer to then they'll start talking because they're going to be uncomfortable. So they'll be like, oh, 14, five is not near. And if you just like, okay. And then you just sit there. I won't do it on the podcast because that's <laughs> annoying. Then they may just start giving up information voluntarily that they wouldn't give up otherwise. So sometimes you don't even have to ask another question. You just let it speak and then they'll give it. But then at that point, then you can think of the way they responded. But instead of going right into the issues, it's like a good way to frame it. We use that same example. There's tires in the windshield. It's like, about how long ago did you replace those tires? If you lead out with that, instead of just going right back to the numbers, then you have an opportunity that they have to kind of explain, oh, it's been about three, four years. Okay. And how about how long did you notice the, you know, the crack in the windshield? If you start answering, if you start answering their question with more questions, it allow them to kind of walk themselves, like you said, because you're in control of the situation to the answer that you're hoping that they get themselves to. So kind of a rant there, no, but I just point. think, mm -hmm. I think that's, I mean, listening is, is the number one trait that you have to learn as a salesperson. Yeah. And Zach, I, you know, we've tried to implement a little more one-on-one -on -one interaction between our management team and, and salespeople at all levels through the dealership. How has asking good questions and, and showing that empathy and listening kind of affected your role because you've kind of headed it off, at least at our location? Yeah. Like what, have, what have you seen there as you've gone through those? I think the number one thing of when we talk back, going back to just the last conversation we had about the relationship, because of the conversations I've had in one-on-one in -on -one environments where I've asked them genuine questions about themselves, how they're doing their life, their family, when it comes to correction, I feel that there's been enough trust built between every one of the guys that works here that I'm able to then quickly and, you know, assertively say, like, this is wrong, this is what we have to do, this is where we messed up, and they don't take it as a slight because mm -hmm. we have a relationship and we have a level of trust that allows us to talk like that in the same way, vice versa. Like, because I have a relationship with them, I want them to succeed very badly for a number of reasons. But when they come out and they have a tough customer, I'm more willing to go and help them because I want them to succeed. Uh, so it's a two-way street. And I think, you know, I've shared things with them. They've shared things with me and we're able to have an open dialogue. And I think it's amazing what that will do uh, with the relationship when you, when you have those on conversations. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I just noticed a culture shift in general. And I think. You know, credit to all our managers that are out there trying to be more empathetic and, you know, ask true questions to their people. And it, it has changed something in the air, like for sure. And I can tell our relationships are better, but it does start with those questions and empathy, right? <laughs> so yeah. that, that's interesting. Yeah. That's cool. Well, awesome. Any uh, last thoughts before we get Marv on? 
think you got enough for me. That was a great conversation, guys. I appreciate it. Good stuff. Thanks, Thanks, man. Sweet. Um, Okay, great. We'll uh, throw it over to Marv and show him some love. All right. Welcome back in. We have uh, something I thought we'd have a Canadian on the show, but here we are. Marv. Hey. 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 Welcome. (laughs) I said, said, hey, not A. I I heard A, too. I heard A, too. Okay, A. (laughs) Welcome, A. So I wanted to bring uh, Marv on uh, to talk about how just great of a man. So do you just want to go from there? You have to ask my wife that. That's phone her in. No, I uh, obviously I think you're probably correct me if I'm wrong, but the most uh, I guess tenured uh, guy at the dealership right now. Well, if you're considering Ellsworth when I started, yeah, yeah. absolutely, yeah, definitely, yeah, that's pretty awesome. So kind of just wanted to have, have an opportunity for you to kind of. Tell us a little about yourself in terms of how long you've been here, your experiences, but more often like the changes that you've, you know, you tried to make in, in finance and, and how that's helped you. So I guess number one, tell us a little bit about Marv. About Marv? Yeah. Where well, are you from, eh? Where am I from, eh? <laughs> <laughs> I was born and raised in a small town called Fort McLeod, Alberta. Oh. And most people, when they ask me where I'm from, I just say Canada. Because a lot of people don't know where anything is there. <laughs> so when they ask me where, then I get a little more specifics as in tell them exactly where I'm from. Because then I know that they know the area a little bit on Absolutely. that. But yeah, I was born and raised there. Uh, I came down to actually to work down in uh, Salt Lake. Um, worked for Coca-Cola for a year. Um, got passed over for many promotions. So I quit. And then I went to school, become an auto mechanic. Okay. Oh, wow. Where'd you go to school? Was it up? I, I knew that. Yeah, it was, no, I went to school in Provo. Okay. This is where I went to school at. The uh, Techno College went about when I went, but it's, uh, was it UBC now or? Uh, UVU? UVU now. UVU. Yeah. Oh, it used yeah. to be UBSC, yeah. I think. Yeah. Anyways, that's, that's where I went to school. I graduated from there and went into the furniture business. <laughs> quite the path yeah so you didn't want to work in autos or was it tough to get a job out of auto school or actually i applied at sayers for uh to be a company mechanic and they said yeah we were right out of school and they said what kind of experience you had and i said just graduated from college and they says yeah not enough we don't need you (laughs) (laughs) now we're begging those kids to come yeah (laughs) there's a tech shortage anyways that's yeah that's what happened interesting so i went and went into the furniture business and that delivering then into selling and on that and I sold uh Randy Dixon who used to be used car manager the chair and and as I was loading up and says, Hey, we're going out of business, I'll be looking for a job and, <laughs> and two or three months later he called me up and offered me a job. Wow. And then, so Randy hired you, huh? Randy hired me. How many years ago was that? Oh, see, it was probably nineteen ninety six, I believe. Okay. Awesome. Um, what, I guess, so obviously furniture place going out of business, so you didn't have much of a choice, but what kind of draw, drew you to car sales? What made that kind of a sticky point? And then what kept you in that, uh, in the field? You know, when I, uh, I was just looking for anything. I actually went back to Canada work too in between that, but I was looking for anything on that. Um, I actually applied at a couple of different auto places. Yeah on there and then there again i'm gonna say sales were dodged because that's where i started at mm-hmm. before ronnie bought it on there um 
I kept driving by there and going, man, that lot's small. <laughs> they don't want to sell anything off the, you know? <laughs> the triangle. Yeah, the triangle. But basically what it was, <laughs> the triangle. And so then Randy, Randy called me. And so I uh, says, uh, I was doing drywall at the time. And I says, well, I'll come in for an interview. But you have to understand, I'm going to have drywall dust all over me. Yeah. He says, I don't care what you look like. And so I came in, did the interview and all that. And then he hired me on that but what made me stick with it yeah i didn't want to go back to the furniture sales <laughs> <laughs> or drywall <laughs> well, how much is car sales because you started in sales obviously now you're an i but how much has car sales changed since then like just in general since you first started it's actually uh it actually changed quite a bit because way back then they had all those lease returns on that uh, at the end of the year all the lease companies would dump them to get new vehicles which they don't do anymore mm. i mean randy would go to the auction he would buy four or five hundred cars i'm probably exaggerating wow. but, you know he'd yeah. buy it he'd buy three or four truckloads of cars in there and then put them on there and so we had plenty of inventory and all that and and i was selling cars as they're coming off the transport sometimes mm-hmm. <laughs> on that but it's yeah that's where it's, that's one thing's changed is for, now we trade for the inventory. Yeah. Oh, on that yeah. versus uh buying them at the auction. Yeah. On there. Yeah, very little at the auction now. So you sold cars for how many years? And then let's see, I sold cars yeah. well I did I sold cars for I don't know, I'd say eight years. Somewhere around there. Started on the used, went to the new side, when they had them split up. Mm-hmm. Um, then asked me to do backup finance. So I finally agreed to do that. And then uh, when Ronnie bought it, and then I could see they were putting a lot more people on the sales floor, and finance guy quit, I says, eh, let me get a shot at doing that full time. Yeah. So that's how I got into it, yeah. doing backup. Interesting. So back up just the day that the other guy's off. Yeah. Basically. And his day off and vacations. Mm-hmm. And if he went to lunch and there was a deal, I'd jump in and do it. <laughs> um, in terms of so like the differences and how they buy cars, but what's been the same, like whether it is sales or finance, like the biggest people skill that you feel like a successful fin- or sales finance person has to have? Uh, being personable. Yeah. Is, uh, is the main. Don't be artificial. Don't be fake. Because uh, you can't fake fake. You <laughs> <laughs> can see like right it. through it. You can see right through it. You can see when somebody is lying to you, you know I mean? Mm-hmm. Just talking with them, you're going to go, yeah, that was a lie. Yeah, that was a lie. You can catch those yeah. on that. But if you're upfront with the customer, um, being genuine, there's uh, – and then knowing who the buyer is. When I say knowing who the buyer is, because there was a time that uh, – couple came in looking for a car for their daughter and uh anyways and so i went and showed them this used car and all that and they were let other ones look at when they came back with their daughter i paid attention to the daughter yeah because i already talked to the parents Mm -hmm. so i paid attention i showed the car to the daughter and all that and he went and went to all the other dealerships that he went to and he came back to me and he says okay we'll take yours he goes i don't understand because when they actually showed him a brand new car, or to buy her a brand new car. Mm-hmm. And they asked her what car she wants. She goes, well, I want that one at uh, Dodge. And they says, why? You know, it's because I paid attention to her. Yeah. 
Interesting. On that. So yeah, you gotta you just can't pay attention to who you think's gonna pay the bill. You gotta pay attention to who's gonna be driving the car. <laughs> <laughs> that goes back to our talk today about asking the right questions. And one of those is making sure you're talking to the person buying the car, right? Mm-hmm. That's Absolutely. one of those first questions. Am I talking to the decision maker or in this case the person that's actually gonna drive the car? Right. That's huge. <laughs> yeah, that's that's really cool. I think probably quite a few things have carried forward and and they're all based on relationship building and communication skills and asking the right questions really. So, so you moved into finance. What was, what kind of differences were there back then? Now it's kind of turned into a lot of asset protection, you know, sales. I, was it always been that way or was it more based on something else at that point no, in time? It's, it's always protecting their, their, their purchase. Pretty much same product. Same, same product, same everything. Okay. On that, um, it's just, yeah, it's basically all been the same. Cool. What do you think, um, like if, uh, like, so you talk about relationship building, but when it comes to, from the finance perspective, and the sales guys, obviously with the current environment and economy, they get a ton of questions about interest rate, about length of loan and all that different type of stuff. What would you, how would you like the salesman, and we've trained on it a lot, but how would you like the salesman, what's the best way you think that they can approach any of those finance questions that set you up for success at the dealership up for best success and get them out of any situation that they could walk themselves into a trap potentially. Well, the best thing is if we're available and we're not doing deals and all that, just to grab us. Cause I've had salesmen here that do have grabbed me before mm-hmm. and say, so they got questions on interest rate and I'll sit down to them and say, you got any questions and not you for me and interest rate never comes up Yeah, because it's basically they don't know how the customer doesn't know how to negotiate as in there. So theirs is okay, let's what is the interest rate? Thinking that's what you gotta ask. <laughs> mm-hmm. But when they get the finance guy in front of them and saying what kind of questions you going, you know, and so they don't know because now they're not negotiating with the finance guy. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Yeah. So that really doesn't come up because then the, your common your common my common answer is, you know, and Interest rates are what interest rates are, and you know we'll get you the best there there is out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think making the shift. I, I feel since even since I've started, which was three years ago, but making the shift from, you know, the finance become way involved way more early on in the right. process has been, as you mentioned, a massive improvement to I think our overall ability to work as a team. And to, you know, have the customer feel that they're getting all their questions answered by the right person. Not, you know, because I remember even just selling and, and, and learning a couple canned lines, just throwing at them. They're like, well, that wasn't really an answer, you know, and, and, you, and you don't even do it. So how do you know? And that's not you. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's why I say you got to be you. So when they do that, if you don't know the answer, let me go find somebody that does know the answer. Yeah, I like that. Whether it's the finance guy, whether it's the uh, um, sales managers on that, let me go find somebody. Yeah so another question i had for you marvin it's it's just been an observation since i started um when in the beginning like zach said we were the finest people were a little bit more in their own world less involved early um you were one of my mentors and you you taught me a lot of things early on uh 
And you put me through the fire quite a few times, <laughs> which I am grateful for. I thought that was actually useful because there's a there's always that hesitancy to just actually do the thing. You're always thinking, oh, someday I'll be ready for it, whatever. But you're, I think the one change we've made, and I don't want to attribute all of it to this, but we've switched to Zurich, and I've noticed kind of a different aura about you, approach to the floor, as the team as a whole. Like you've always obviously been good at your job, but there's like a there's a different level of interest in everybody's success. Maybe that is, but maybe speak to that uh, mental shift. Unless it's something I'm just making up in my head, but just a little a little bit different approach, I guess, in the last year or so. Yeah, you're you're not making it up because um, there has been a difference since we teamed up with Zurich on that. Um, I was I was hesitant at at first on that but going in through some of their trainings and you know that they do monthly on that and actually when i come out of those meetings i'm hyped yeah and all that and and it's not i i my mindset is not you know i gotta do what's good for me my mindset now is how can i help somebody else because in the long run they're going to come back and help me mm -hmm. on that end of it so no you're not you things have changed on yeah. all that yeah, it's just interesting to me. And I, one thing I was concerned about in in adding them, but I, I'm a believer in it, is like just accountability through numbers as well. Just knowing our numbers, looking at those constantly, kind of having them up on the board in front of everybody. I was worried that was going to maybe cause a little bit of contention between people or embarrassment or or something. But it seems like it's actually done the exact opposite. You guys have competed in a very classy way with each other, and your numbers are up dramatically. <laughs> like, I think we're up as a team. I know it's over 500 per copy average now. And, yeah, so speak to that a little bit. Has the accountability shifted uh, your mindset at all, just being aware of our goals and numbers and stuff? Or Yeah, yeah, I, I do agree with that. The accountability is on that. I mean. You, you say we look at them monthly when come, I look at them daily. Exactly. Okay. I look at them daily, see where I'm at compared to somebody else and that, and I don't look at the, the, uh, who's ever, you know, who's on top, who's on the bottom. I look at where I'm at and I go into my happy where I'm at on that end of it there. Mm -hmm. What do I need to improve? And then I will, I will do that. I mean, obviously it has happened because I went to Nick and it says, tell me your process. Mm -hmm. You're successful on that um because obviously he's successful to doing it so why can't i be doing the same thing you know yeah and doesn't mean i have to use his exact way he does it mm -hmm. it's i you know it long time ago a guy told me he says when you're with different people take the best of them that will work for you and throw the rest away <laughs> and that's what i do yeah i take the best that will work best for me and i throw the rest away not saying that I don't ever go back to it, but at that time I don't need it mm -hmm. on that. And then you go look at the guy at the bottom of the thing there. Well, you know, we're all a family here. Right. So you want to help that person move up. Yeah. yeah. And I, I mean, I think the number one thing, like it kind of ties in, like be real to you and also have the humility of being able to even ask that question. I think is the number one. Yeah. That's, that's right. the toughest question of like, Okay, obviously you're doing something well. What am I not doing? What's, you know, walk me through your process and then being able to say, 
I'm not doing this, I'm not doing that, and implementing. You right. know? And I think being able to have that conversation is is crucial, but then also to actually do it is, is the next step. And yeah, I mean, it's been, um, I think working here has made a dramatic shift and like together. And I think, like you said, as a family aspect to it, being no, knowing as a salesperson, knowing as a sales manager myself, like I can go grab Marv if, if the customer has X, Y question and it's, it's going to get answered. It's going to be handled appropriately. It never is a worry. And, and it's been just awesome to kind of, to be a part of that. And kind of what, well, it's been really cool. So. And, that, and that just doesn't apply to finance. Salespeople can do the same thing. Mm -hmm. Right. Oh yeah. Sales managers can do the same thing. Absolutely. You know, Hey, I see you do this. How are you getting this done? You know, I mean. Yeah, and I had that conversation with Tyson after last month because he had he had beaten me in the overall numbers by I think like four, four or five hundred bucks or something. I can't remember the exact. And I said, I feel like I'm, I do similar things to you, but kind of what is like in in, in talking about underlying on trades being the number one thing to kind of help because then we you know then it helps set you up to be able to to give them what they want. And, and since then I've been able to implement and I feel like only been able to close certain deals because they felt like the customer won, but it was still a good ship. So yeah, from sales management, from, you know, upper management, sales man, you know, finance managers, salespeople, everyone uh, can be better if they ask the question of like, okay, I'm not perfect. What can I implement to be right. better? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That team culture has completely shifted. I think since I started here, it was a little bit of, you know, kill what you eat every man for himself right and it's just not as it, it, it's not as fun honestly that way i mean it's fun if you're the highest guy on the totem pole but you're not always going to be there either you're going to have your ups and downs so it kind of smooths that and builds more of a family feel i'm proud of you guys for making that change like humility's hard <laughs> you know it's always hard and especially in a professional setting so I think you guys have been a testament that that actually works really well. I've watched you sit with each other uh, in, in your offices and kind of go through your pitches and stuff. And it takes a lot of humility to do that. And some of the, some of the individuals that aren't willing to do that as much, they struggle a little more. So it, it's interesting that that's been a key to you guys' success and, and growing these teams. That's really cool. Marv, any last thoughts? You Canadian? Are you, <laughs> did you guys eat a lot of maple syrup or no? Is that just wise tale? You know, how many bottles of I didn't, I didn't uh, maple eat, syrup I didn't did you eat, keep stocking? I didn't eat much maple syrup at all. What really? was it? Choke cherries? Yeah, choke cherries. Yeah, syrup. he told me my about parents, choke My parents, would, my mother would make that. We'd go pick them and she'd make choke cherry syrup. <laughs> I was, I still want to try the, uh, is it gravy on fries? What do you guys call that? Poutine? poutine? I've never had poutine. Poutine, you told me about it. I've never oh, had it. It sounds the, so good. It's the greatest um, thing of all Reed's time. Dairy sells it. Do they really? Yeah. What? We need yeah. a poutine party for Marv. Serious? Yeah. Would that just well you up with tears having poutine no. at like a Saturday lunch? When's your birthday, no. Marv? This reminds me of Ma. My birthday's in January. All right, this January we're having a poutine party, baby. <laughs> He'll be in tears. This reminds me of my meemaw. Yeah, my, hey. mom, my mother never made poutine. <laughs> and, uh, what's the other Ooh. thing you taught me? Loonies and toonies. Loonies and toonies. Loonies and toonies. We need colors really. We do. Well, it's gone off the rails. But thank you, Marv. Hey, yeah, I appreciate, appreciate you, yeah. Marv. Hey, thanks for the invite. Yep.